Good evening and welcome along to the Final Whistle Football Show. My name is Phil Green and tonight we are going to be talking about the progression of Scottish football. We have a fun-packed show installed for you. Um, but first of all, I want to uh, just plug for Nugent 4 Now, the previous radio show, an event that's happening at uh, Brigham Lee Stadium in Neilston on Sunday. It's um, a Legends match, so you've got Atherley, Pollock, Neilston and Vagabonds all playing. So, if you're looking for a fun-filled afternoon, then head along to the Brigham Lee Stadium in Neilston. But tonight, we are joined by Lewis Barnes, uh, our regular contributor to the show, and we're very, very honoured to be joined by Paul Goodwin, who is the Head of Supporters Direct Scotland. Welcome along, gents. Thank you very much. Looking Thanks, forward Phil. to this. Oh, absolutely. Excellent. Well, let's kick off with um, let's kick off with uh, Sunday night, Scotland versus Germany. Did you both watch the game? Yeah, I didn't. No, sorry to say, I can't afford Sky Telly. I've asked <laughs> them on several occasions. The boys at Sky were always coming out and interviewing me. Any chance of subscription? But uh, as so much football in my life, um, I can actually justify Sky. So I didn't see. It. I saw the highlights later. Okay. Excellent, Lewis. Did uh, I, I did indeed. Yes, yes, I did. And did what were your overriding thoughts? Uh, apart from the result, positive. Yeah, it was. I wasn't really expecting too much in the result front anyway. But um, uh, first half was fairly one-way traffic. But after that, I think we got in about them a bit and gave a good account of ourselves. And mm. perhaps in the end, a little bit unlucky not to get anything. Uh, Paul, what did you think of the goal that Scotland scored? It wasn't bad at all, really, was it? No. I mean, I think Strachan's made a fantastic uh, impact since he came in. He was the fans' choice. And, um, you know, on this occasion, I think the fans were proven to be right. Um, right man for the job. Uh, tactically, they see him um, on the ball. Uh, and certainly, you know, from a, an, a, an attacking point of view, I think they, they really started to, to show some impetus. So. I think it's it's really positive. Looking forward to the rest of the campaign. Ikechi Anya, uh, Lewis, uh, came into some plaudits from Gordon Strachan. Yeah. Richly deserved? I think so, absolutely. Like Paul said, it was some goal he scored, great finish, worked hard all night, created a couple of other chances and thought he did very well. Yeah. Good, good. And um, what about the, the Germany goals then? Really uh, oh, defended oh, or. Schoolboy errors, really, uh, isn't it? You know, you just. I think, you know, looking at it, um, you've got to get the centre of your defence really, really tight, no matter who you're playing against. Uh, you're playing against some of the best teams in the world. Uh, we've got to be better than that. And I think there's probably a, a lack of depth and uh, players at that sort of um, position. And we've got what we've got. Uh, not sure there's that many others coming through. No. Um, so we'll just need to go on with it. Indeed we will. Um, next up is Georgia. Uh, in the, the campaign. Now, Georgia were defeated to, at home by the Republic of Ireland 2-1. Um, how, how do you see that How do you see that go, game going based on both results at the weekend to lose? I think Scotland are going to full of confidence. Um, they're no, they've got some useful players, Georgia, but they're no Germany. And if they, especially the second half performance, if they take that on into the Georgia game, I think we can be fully confident of a good result. Would yeah, you? no, I, I agree. I think um, there's no reason why we can't be more confident. Um, I think you, you look at right across the team and you would expect that there's going to be goals coming from various different parts of that squad. You're going to get Scott Brown coming back as well, possibly. Uh, I think Darren Ferguson's going to continue to improve. Um, is, he, is he, you know, he's back to, to full health. Sure. Dan so, Fletcher, Dan Fletcher, sorry. sorry. Um, 
and uh, I think it, I think they've got a real um, you know positive um, impact. So I think I'm looking forward to it. Good, good. And how do you think the the result from the Scotland game will affect the rest of Scottish football? Do you it gives them a lift. I mean, I, I think we're in the doldrums in lots of different ways. Um, I think there's real concerns throughout the game that uh, in the past we would maybe retain some of our better younger players before they disappeared down south or abroad. And you just need to look at what happened in the summer. You know, we're losing some of the, the best young talent that we've got. And we're deprived of seeing that in a, in, a, in, a, in a match day every Saturday in during the week. So I think the, the national team doing well for us is really, really important to lift the spirits. Lewis? I totally agree. Yeah, especially with the coming back from the international break. Um, gets the excitement going for the league football again if we've come back. I mean, I know, like I say, it wasn't the ideal result, but coming back of a good performance, it gets everyone excited before this weekend's football again. Let's uh, just briefly touch on this weekend's football. Um, we have numerous games going on uh, as we're back in domestic football mode. Um, Celtic kick off the weekend at home to Aberdeen. How do you see the game going, Lewis? I think it's going to be a Celtic victory. Um, I know Aberdeen, I think they were the, well, the only team, where they certainly the first team that beat them in the league last year. Uh, had a couple of good results from them, knocked them out of the cup as well. But I think especially with the European disappointment and the Cali Thistle game before that, Celtic will be keen to bounce back and I think they'll get the home victory. Yeah. Well, I just think it will be interesting because there's three new players that we don't even know how to pronounce their names that have arrived <laughs> in the scene. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting for the Celtic fans to see them, but also the other teams as well. You don't know who you're going to be facing. Uh, you don't know what kind of talents and uh, qualities they'll bring to it. So I think that makes it interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, Aberdeen get a few injury problems as well. Maybe haven't started the way they wanted uh, but by all accounts, uh, they played well against Thistle a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll touch on the, the next big game. Um, surprise uh, package from the SPFL this season. Hamilton travelled to Dundee to take on Dundee United. Um, Paul, what would your thoughts be on well, that game? I saw Hamilton a couple of weeks ago where they um, tore the points away from Thistle and, uh, at Far Hill. And, you know, they're, they're a really compact side. They've got play, play good football. Uh, they're well organised. Uh, there's no any great stars there, uh, but I, I think uh, they've got a, another good young manager who knows his way about, uh, maximises what he's getting from the team, and uh, I think they look really comfortable at this stage. I think it's one of those situations maybe further down the line, when uh, they hit those winter months and the pools maybe a wee bit uh, uh, depleted, they might struggle a bit. But at the moment in time, they look really, really good. Lewis, anything to add? Ah, I think they've been the success story of the league so far this season. Like I said, um, I saw them close hands against Hibs in the playoff and I didn't fancy their chances at all in the league. And they've proved me and many others totally wrong. But I think this weekend might be where the wheels start to wobble a little bit and I fancy Dundee United in this one. Kilmarnock versus St Mirren uh, in Kilmarnock. Um, what would be your thoughts on that? Oh, can St Mirren score a goal? I... <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's really, really difficult that uh, for for the St Mirren fans, you know, Tommy Craig's come in, there's some new faces again. The one thing that looks to be a real struggle for them scoring goals, and I think without Stephen Thompson, I just feel they're going to struggle a wee bit. Um, Kilmarnock, a bit up and down, a few points in the bag, some good performances, some not so good. 
Um, I, I would just think Kilmarnock will maybe just edge it, uh, but I would expect St Mirren to get that first goal. I totally agree. Kilmarnock just edge it or maybe a draw in a low-scoring game. Interesting. Now, Paul, your team, Partick Thistle, <laughs> yes, uh, are at home to the league leaders, Inverness Cali Thistle. Um, as a supporter, uh, do you think... Will you go with your heart or your head? <laughs> well, I think it's really difficult. Cali have been playing brilliantly. Uh, a terrible news for Thistle today that Gary Fraser's mm. out for three months. Without a shadow of a doubt, he's been outstanding and easily our best player this season. Um, you know, a goal scorer from midfield, controlling a match. Uh, so that's a real blow. Uh, we don't know. You know, we've got three players coming in as well. We don't really know that we've signed, um, so we don't know what impact they'll have. I would like to think uh, I'll just go with my heart on this one and just say that we'll just uh, sneak away 2-1 or 1-0. Please. I'm going to go with Partick Thistle as well because it's the cast of the Manager and Player of the Month awards, isn't it? I think Cali Thistle cleaned up, so they're due, a, they're due a pure result, so we'll go with Thistle on that basis. Right, we have uh, next up we've got um, Ross County who have just announced their new manager. Yep. Um, Jim McIntyre. McIntyre. That's what I was asking you. Yeah. Uh, Jim McIntyre has just been announced the new manager of Ross County and Stuart McCall takes his Motherwell side up there to face uh, Ross County. How do you think that game will go? I think um, Ross County will be still in a bit of a mess. You get that bounce when you get a new manager in. Um, Stuart McCall struggling this year with Motherwell. Um, I think... I can't, it's probably a draw or a very, very close one that maybe the new manager effect will take Ross County across the line. But again, I think they're in a situation where there's that many new players that they don't even know each other, never mind know the new manager. So uh, something will go for them eventually. And maybe it's the perfect game for them with Motherwell, who have been a real disappointment this year. Talking to the Motherwell fans, um, they're really, really surprised at how badly they've been playing. I think I've been saying for weeks now Motherwell will get the result and they never do so I'm going to stick by that now and say Motherwell will beat them but I think uh, Jim McIntyre <laughs> I think Jim McIntyre's a d fairly decent appointment for them and we all got it wrong when we were trying to predict it last week so <laughs> nice to freshen up a little bit no no absolutely not um, and just finally to round off this uh, section of the show um, we have a Tayside Derby St Johnston are at home to Dundee now both teams in good good form yep. Lewis what do you think uh, I'm going to go with St Johnston but I've been I have been massively impressed with Dundee um, I thought again we talked about it before but good business over the summer Paul Hartley much as it pains me to say it being a heavy has turned into quite a good manager um, but I like the look of St Johnston at home especially they're compact they don't give much away again they've not got any real superstars but like Paul said, they get the most out of what they've got and I think they'll sneak it. Paul? Yeah, I, I think uh, St Johnson have adapted quite well without uh, Stevie May and I, I, I can't see this being a, a high-scoring game. I think it'll be really, really close and really, really tight. Uh, and I think one goal will edge it. Um, again, new players coming into Dundee, they have performed really quite well. Uh, not sure how much of a goal threat they're going to have. Um, so I, I would I would go with St Johnson just sneaking this one. Excellent. Thanks very much for your uh, thoughts on that game, gents. We have a um, we have a, a text number that if you want to phone in or text into, as you can do it on oh seven five three eight nine eight four nine eight four, or else you can tweet in. 
on at TFW Football Show or also on Facebook as well. Uh, we'll have a little break just now, but when we get back, we will get into the nitty gritty. Uh, Paul Goodwin uh, will find out your thoughts on uh, Supporters Direct Scotland. You're listening to the Final Whistle Football Show on Pulse 98.4 Community Radio. We are joined by Paul Goodwin, who is the head of Supporters Direct Scotland, and this is the kind of focus of tonight's show. Paul, um, tell us a bit about yourself. Oof, where to start? Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's too long ago. Um, I'm a football fan, I'm a Thistle fan. Uh, I've been lucky enough in my career to be involved in football through the marketing side when I worked for Scottish Newcastle, get involved with some of the, the sponsorships, Newcastle United, uh, and the big one that was involved in was Chelsea through the Coors brand during the Gianluca Vialli uh, years, uh, who still he still knows me as uh, there's the wee Scottish beer man uh, <laughs> when I, I met him last year at a conference. Um, got involved in that, eventually set up my own business and picked up some clients I've always done work for Thistle for not uh, not a lot of money, uh, mostly for nothing. And uh, the big contract I won was with Nationwide. I looked after the England team for 10 years. So that's my kind of professional uh, football background. Uh, also worked in programmes for the Football League in England. And uh, during Gordon Smith's tenure at the SFA, um, I brought in some sponsors for him. Uh, William Hill and Tesco Bank as a consultant. So that's my kind of uh, business background uh, on the, um, the, the club side of things. I get involved in trying to save Stirling Albion when uh, the owner couldn't uh, sell a club. And I started getting involved in the campaign to, 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 to buy the club and that took me into the world of community ownership. And this is where we are today. Um, Indeed. So tell us a bit about um, Supporters Direct Scotland. What are the aims and objectives of the group? Well, Supporters Direct was set up um, by uh, Andy Burnham MP, who's uh, currently Shadow uh, Health Secretary. Uh, he, uh, when he was part of Tony Blair's uh, government, was a sports minister. And one of the things that he noticed that there was a lot of clubs going into administration and liquidation right across the UK. So um, he wanted to try and do something to help protect clubs for fans. Uh, and he set up Supporters Direct with the views to setting up some sort of uh, community trusts so if uh, clubs were in trouble or in peril, um, they at least had some sort of structure there that they could go to. So it was very much the, the birth in the first phase of Supporters Direct was the birth of uh, Supporters Trust. Um, so that uh, took us up nicely to uh, uh, the Rangers uh, scenario when they went into administration and Supporters Direct had actually been and gone by that stage in Scotland. We closed their doors uh, because it's one of those things that fans work in silos. They only want to um, contribute to their own club. They don't necessarily want to contribute to uh, the greater good of the game, despite the fact they actually do through uh, all their money supporting the, the league and supporting the, the SFA. So Supporters Direct had closed its doors and then the Rangers crisis happened and the Scottish Government said... Uh, who, la- who looks after the interests of the fans and of course there wasn't anybody there so the organisation uh, in Scotland was reborn which was three years ago uh, I was appointed as the head of it and with the remit very much to try and represent all the fans uh, build a network of fans up uh, build those relationships and also to help those clubs who wanted to come into community ownership there was also another element of our kind of role as uh, again, if you can imagine a club going into crisis, uh, we've seen it a few times in the last few years, 
uh, Livingstone that uh, Dunfermline and Harps, who actually goes in and tries to help them. Uh, in those instances, it's quite hard for the SFA to go in or the league to go in uh, because it could, you know, the club maybe don't want them to see some of the things that are going on. Uh, they could end up with fines. It could end up with uh, other kind of disciplinary issues. So supporters direct is taking that role on to go in and try and assist. So we work really closely with the administrators um, at Dunfermline and at Harps. Uh, in Livingston uh, last October, we went in there and got some forensic accountants went in, excuse me, and um, helped actually save the club going get into administration. We're working with the directors, reshaping the finances and just trying to make the club more professional. So, and we also got a huge amount of debt written off by some of the, 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 the directors. So they're the kind of roles that we're involved in, trying to represent the fans. That's a challenge because some of the issues that fans raise to us, all we can do is politely knock on the door at Hamden Park because we've got to have a relationship with them. So, you know, some of the issues, whether it's, you know, the Celtic fans getting kettled or some of the, you know, the the way that the Rangers fans feel that their, their club's been treated or, you know, the... the directorships and things like that or whether it's ticket prices at Hamden uh, uh, so for Scotland matches we can only gently say we can't really campaign because we've got to have um, a working relationship with them but at least it gives the vans um, a, a channel and a conduit uh, where we can take those arguments in professionally and we also write things like white papers we've recently written seven white papers on various subjects from alcohol in the game to safe standing uh, and we've also uh, worked with the SFA on the National Fan Survey, which uh, got a lot of responses and we were able to take that data into them. So a, a lot, a lot of work, you know. A lot of it's just seen at the, the crisis point, but there's, like most jobs, is you know, thousands of other things that go into it uh, behind the scenes. It's a, a very broad range of uh, subjects that you deal with. Um, but let's look at the fan ownership uh, specifically. Um, in your opinion, why is fan ownership the way forward? Well, it's a bit like going back to go forward. Most of the clubs in Britain were fan owned right at the very start of their existence um, and probably maintained that right up until you know after the Second World War when businesses started to get more involved in the running of football clubs. Uh, some would say you know it started off as a, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, small local businesses. Uh, but as people could see uh, by the time we got to the 60s and 70s it was money to be made and particularly when TV came into play um, it probably attracted in lots of instances the wrong type of business people. Now, a testament to that as I mentioned in the UK uh, when Andy Burnham started uh, since the year 2000 there have been 154 administrations or liquidations of football clubs in Britain um, so that gives you a kind of scale of the mismanagement um, community ownership, as I say, is really just looking back to the way the clubs used to be um, and saying, you know, in this day and age, most of the clubs are social enterprises. They don't make money. They lose money. Um, and if you're a Cowden Beath fan, um, you know, that, that club represents that local community for you and it's an integral part of your way of life. So it's recognising that and almost saying to them, look, they're not, you know, limited companies who turn profit. Um, they're limited companies only because that was the structure that was available in 1860 or 1870. Um, so community ownership is a viable uh, alternative. We feel uh, it's early days uh, because it's a new type of model, but we're starting to get you know um, information and data right across the clubs that are in community ownership 
and we're taking from one club to another club, best practice, and it's and it's growing. Darren has uh, tweeted in to at TFW Football Show, and his tweet says, unless you have a fan base like Barcelona and can guarantee that crowd every week, fan ownership is unrealistic. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? Um, Barcelona is probably the, the last club that we actually uh, talk about to give an example because they are such a unique um, club. Um, but you know the fans at Clyde, at East Stirling, at Dunfermline, at Stirling Albion would all disagree. They're all run efficiently. They're all run effectively. And the one thing that you have when you have community ownership, genuine community ownership, is it's unlikely you'll have a bank overdraft. And what you certainly won't have is a benefactor who can throw money at you know your desperate your fans desperate request for a new centre forward so it's it's run uh, transparently and also the club is also run with uh, a degree of um, sensible prudent management of the finances because you can't you know tap money off anybody absolutely um lewis's club lewis you're still here <laughs> uh, you've been in discussion with lewis's club and um, hips um, and Rangers obviously supporters group uh, on their quest for fan ownership in your opinion can both clubs achieve fan ownership and what needs to be done I think um, if we start with Rangers uh, there's two groups there's by Rangers which is part of the supporters trust and there's also Rangers first uh, in an ideal world there would be one group uh, they would all work together and um, they would develop a, a platform that would allow them to do that um, they both get quite a lot of people, Rangers first in the last three or four weeks in particular has gathered a lot of momentum uh, with people joining up, similar to the Heart scheme. Um, so I think from a Rangers perspective, it, of course it can be done. If you think of the value of the club, um, you know, it's, people would say it's difficult because it's a stock market listed company. In actual fact, that makes it easier because there's lots of people who have bought shares during the green era who were promised uh, the land of milk and honey, which has never materialised. So, you know, there's deals to be done there that they can actually go and buy those shares. So it, it just needs a structure in place. In my opinion, it needs, you know, everybody to work together uh, at that club um, to try and make it work. Hibs, um, a different set of circumstances there. Uh, we've been working with the Hibs fans for three or four months now. Um, a lot of groundwork uh, behind the scenes. I would like to think within the next five to six weeks there'll be a, a campaign launched to try and buy Hibs. Difficulty there is, unlike the Rangers situation where you can start by buying shares, uh, you've got the old traditional benefactor model uh, with Sir Tom Farmer. Now, we know that there's other people bidding for the club and I've, you know, they've been talking to David Lowe's consortium and they've been talking to other people as well in the last week. Um, so it would appear the club's for sale. And the one thing that we feel is, uh, as this momentum for community ownership moves forward, what in actual fact we're offering is a platform to people in the club to actually um, have an exit strategy. So it's, it's succession planning, as it were, because we don't think there's another Sir Tom Farmer around the corner who's willing to invest in it. So this would give him the chance to exit. When he actually bought the club, he was quoted as saying he was buying the club for the community. Um, and I think there's a real opportunity coming forward. And... Hopefully you agree with that. Absolutely. Is there any way, though, to address... I mean, Hibs are a classic example in recent years. Attendances and fan base drop off due to poor results, poor performances. How do you address that from the point of view of supporters' ownership if folks start to pull out if their team's not doing quite so well? 
Well, I mean, the stats and the information that we've got from the clubs um, that we've been working with, both in Scotland and in England, and, and indeed several other clubs across Europe, is that once you own it, it becomes a different type of commitment. Uh, it's not about um, the protest movements, yeah. whether it's Kilmarnock and the, you know, the kick Johnson out or Hibs with kick Petrie out or whatever, and or Rangers with you know season ticket sales happen. It's all about suddenly you own the club, and there's a change in mentality that we're trying to foster, which is more about uh, it's the golf club scenario. So you pay your green fees and then you pay your membership. Right. Um, what we've actually found at Hearts is, despite the fact they've started pulling the, the direct debits off and paying the money, there's more people joined now. Mm. Maybe there's a halo effect because they're doing quite well. Did I mention that? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't, shouldn't have it. Uh, He's a idol. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's an element there. Yeah. But the other side of that coin is what we've seen at Portsmouth yeah. uh, in England and also at Dunfermline. Dunfermline really desperately needed from a budgeting point of view to be promoted last year. They failed in the playoffs and... Um, you know, would you believe they've increased their season tickets by 200 this season? That's great. And, and yeah. it's a lot to do with they've gone out and engaged with the community. They've gone to places like Kelty where the supporters club had closed. They've re-engaged that. They've opened up. They've got three new supporters branches. They're bringing more people in. And if you go along to Dunfermline get, uh, match, which I, you, know, you really should do, you'll see a real community match the experience, which is just fantastic. So it's, it's all about bringing those extra things in and also increasing the commercial revenue because traditionally a Scottish football club doesn't have significant uh, marketing or sales resource. Um, it tends to be one person sitting phoning up and saying, do you want to renew your board or do you want to take your programme ad again? And what we found certainly at Stirling Albion when we were there is you know, you went from the wee old lady who used to make those phone calls to having 12 volunteers knocking on every door in the town and in the city. And that just brings increased revenue. Uh, it's, in the Stirling example, it was up 300%. Uh, Dunfermline have found the same, and certainly at Portsmouth, it's another example. So I think, you know, Hibs have been no problem. Big, yeah. big club, big city. Um, and what we see with the likes of Hearts and Dunfermline is that business and fans working together rather than just businesses right. flying solo. Yep. Paul, um, you mentioned Sir Tom Farmer, um, who's obviously the, 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 the chief benefactor of uh, Hibs. Um, is a rich businessman uh, slash sugar daddy still needed in the same sort of way? I mean, like you've got teams like Barcelona and Bayern Munich uh, who are considered to be fan-owned, but um, it's really kind of kind of big investors behind them kind of yeah I mean I think every market is completely different if we go down to the, the economics and the, the marketing of it I mean Germany is, a, is the, the case that we use an example we use that example because right throughout the leagues from the top league from the top league Bundesliga right down to the fourth division all the clubs are community owned yes it's different because most of the stadiums are owned by the council there are bigger businesses it's got a huge uh, infrastructure and it's also a huge country that just so happens to be rich. So, you know, there's bits that we can take out of that model. But uh, elsewhere, you know, in Scandinavia, for example, they have uh, 50 plus one where the, the majority of the shares are owned by the, the, the fans. And I think it's just realising the platform. I mean, the reality is we can't compete in Scotland with the German clubs or the Spanish clubs or whatever it is. And the matter, as you've seen in the last four or five years, even if the likes of Celtic have got through to the Champions League, they might get a wee sneaky and do not too bad. But to can you know to actually maintain that momentum 
it's virtually impossible because we don't have the TV money, we don't have you know the money coming through the turnstiles. So I, I, I don't think you can compare like for like. It's taking the best bits in those those uh, you know the democracy in Germany. The fact that all their supporter liaison officers are all fans, uh, they're all in place. So I think there's elements like that that we can you know hope for and we can shoot for. The reality is we're never going to be able to compete with these. Just as you know, we, we don't expect to, to beat Germany the other night. We would have taken a wee happy draw, and we might you know turn them over at Hamden. But the reality is we can't compete uh, ongoing with them. But how once the sporter ownership is in place, how do you ensure that the increased number of voices doesn't slow down decision making processes? <coughs> the, I mean, it's an interesting thing because a lot of people feel it's one of the things thrown back at us all the time that you know Jimmy the window cleaner or you know um, Bob the postman wants to run the club, yeah. and it very very rarely happens because most of those guys what they want is they actually want to know that they've got a say in running the club. Um, and you know it's it's meritocracy. Most people uh, want to have a vote, and you structure the the actual um, mechanics of the club. We usually have a, a community interest company, and they all, whether it's all the different fans groups, have a somebody voted onto that. And then thereafter, it's a bit like the hustings. You you know you if you want to be a member of the board that you know Hibernian, you you know you would um, write your CV. You would potentially. Uh, do a pitch in front of the various fans, and they'd be asked to vote for you. But you know, generally speaking, you know we've got to a place now. Certainly with the clubs we have in Scotland, who are in community ownership, are the ones who are trying to get in. Uh, the fans are really interested, move in that direction, and and it doesn't seem to be a barrier. Occasionally, you might have someday, but um, the, the power of the, of of the many uh, tend to actually act as a good controlling voice. Remember, you can actually text in to us on 07538-984-984. We're with Paul Goodwin, who is the head of Supporters Direct Scotland, um, giving him our questions and finding out his views. You can also tweet into us at TFW Football Show and on the same name on Facebook. Um, Paul, with the current issues at Rangers with the Union of Fans and Sons of Struth calling for boycotts of the club, uh, do you agree with the way that... Th- that is working. I think it's a really difficult one. Um, they are working even. Yeah, I think it. I think it's difficult for uh, any fans when you see the thing that you love probably more than many things in your life. Uh, you know, being tarnished and being damaged and being hurt. I mean, I feel a lot of sympathy for the Rangers fans, and I know most football fans do. It's really, really hard. Um, do boycotts work? You know, there's not a great evidence that it has done. I think they need to come with other uh, almost like bells and whistles attached. So, what is the alternative strategy? And, and again, you know, the Rangers do have groups here who are set about. You know, if, if we get if we get eight and a half thousand Hearts fans paying you know sixteen pound a month, uh, if we had the same number of Rangers fans, then you know within a year, a year and a half, they can buy the club. So. I feel that they've got the destiny in their own hands. Um, the protests, absolutely, is their right to protest, whether that's at Hibs or whether it's Kilmarnock, whether it's at Rangers, no matter what the club, because it is their club. Um, the other people who might own a bit of paper saying that they own so many shares, all they are are custodians. Um, these clubs have been along for a long, long time, and will be along there, hopefully, long after we're here. So I, I think they've got the right to do it, um, whether it's right or wrong campaign wise. You know, 
it's maybe three or four years from now they will know the you know the results of that. And not looking for any names, although if you want to give any, feel free. How ha- has there been any hostility when you've been dealing with sort of the sugar daddies and the benefactors, or have they taken quite kindly to it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He goes to leave room. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I think I've just got to be honest and say yeah. there are um, some clubs who see this as an exit strategy and don't see it as a threat. You know, mm-hmm. we've got uh, Livingston, Annan, uh, Hearts, Motherwell, uh, Air United, all looking at this. You know, so we're talking to the clubs who think this is something that could be interesting. Um, I had a really interesting conversation with Moat Club Party Thistle last week. They were going, you know, explain a bit more what you do. Oh, that could be interesting. We could bring more talent to the pool. Yeah. Um, you know, I've looked at it before as well. I mean, but I think there are some club chairmen who, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, see it as a threat and see it as like, oh, wait a minute, you know, um, there's some sort of communist revolution heading <laughs> our way with fans marching with pickforks and things. I don't think it's like that. I think, um, you know, most fans just want the best for their club. Um, and I don't think you know community ownership works everywhere, and I think you need to convince uh, the Ross County f- fans pretty hard to say that you know Roy McGregor is not the best person to run their club because he's invested a huge amount of his time. I mean, I've spent lots of times with him; he's a fantastic chairman. Likewise, St Johnston, you know, a huge amount of family uh, time and effort and money. Um, but you know, our whole thing is well, what happens when you know they're no longer involved and. We saw the tragic consequences at Gretna where it was a benefactor who unfortunately died and, you know, the family weren't wanting to keep it up and the club ended up um, dying and coming back to life as in, in the lower leagues. So it, there's no one set thing. Uh, some of the clubs embrace it, some of the clubs are interested in it and some of the other um, owners just see uh, it with great difficulty and trepidation. Paul, there's been an awful lot made within the media about the um, effect that the current situation at Rangers has had on uh, the rest of the SPL, S- uh, Scottish football clubs. Um, in your opinion, do you think that uh, the demise at Rangers has pushed other clubs closer to a fan ownership? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I think what it did do and what we witnessed going to a lot of the smaller clubs is... One of the brilliant things about the Rangers, um, and I think I've lot, spoke to lots lots of Rangers fans, it re-engaged them. And, you know, apart from the protests, they actually enjoyed going to Forfar, they actually enjoyed going to Berwick, they enjoyed going to these places and actually being part of the, the wider football community again, as opposed to the... And it, ref, it was a refreshment for them, between seeing different teams with different uh, uh, sort of strips and all sort of things that I hadn't seen for years. So I think that was a starting point for it. Whether it actually has had any impact in community ownership, I don't know. Uh, what it certainly did do is, a, a side of you know helping the Rangers fans rediscover some of their innermost feelings, I think, it also helped regenerate uh, the money throughout the game because it's, it's circulated a lot of money at the, bo- the, the, the lower leagues, which in the turn has actually helped stability, uh, you know, the, the Matroses and the Arbros and, and clubs like that. So it was really, really good. I don't directly think it's led to anything... Um, particular towards community ownership I think uh, the fact that there's a lot of Rangers fans know about community ownership, uh, the fact that they've seen Hearts succeed the fact they've seen the big clubs like Portsmouth and again they've got lots of ties across Europe over the years uh, I think it's given some of them confidence we've still got a long long way to go to convince them that they could do it but 
I, you know, I, I don't see any reason why Rangers couldn't do it. I don't see any reason why Celtic couldn't do it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Celtic don't get millions and millions and millions pumped in by benefactors. They've got benefactors there who bought the shares. Um, but, you know, would they be any worse off with all the Celtic fans? I don't know. You know, that, that's something that further down the line, because uh, I'm, I'm sure Celtic had the same problem. Who takes over from the current regime five years, ten years, fifteen years down the line when, you know, they're looking for their other Celtic-minded person to stump up their millions? It'll be tough. Absolutely. Um, what, uh, Lewis obviously touched on uh, the attendances earlier on, but um, do you think, in your opinion, are fans being priced out of the game? And how can clubs attract uh, fans back? Oof, that's, a, that's a book in itself. I, mean, <laughs> I think the, um, the pricing... I mean, this is one of the strangest things. I mean, I'd never run a football club until uh, I, I get thrown the keys five days before the season started at Stirling Albion, and that was a, a bit of a fast uh, learning curve for me. And one of the things that absolutely blew me away was the fact that suddenly, uh, within a month in the job, I had a VAT bill, and that you know the the fifteen quid I was taking off the punters, I was paying twenty percent of that to HMRC, and you actually think, well, in actual fact, I'm only really. You know, getting eleven quid for somebody coming in, so it then affects your your prices, and then if you get concessions and blow that, so there's a there's part of me feels that I've been involved in the, the the guts of a club, and and been involved in a few other clubs as well that, um, the pricing's not such a huge thing in terms of uh, the you know the actual cost. I think where you get is the value, uh, is it good value compared to other things? Is it um, you know comparable with going to the pictures or whatever? Uh, is it you know worthwhile in a on a freezing Saturday in the middle of February with the sleet coming down and your your wee kid's crying because he wants to go home? I, I think there's lots and lots of other factors into it, facilities and the entertainment on the park. Um, I don't necessarily feel myself. My honest feeling is that it's it's priced just about right. Uh, maybe a wee touch on the high side, but if we want to keep the whole industry going, you know where would we be if we dropped the prices? You know, we're already losing you know, young players that have not even brought into the first team to clubs down in England, you know, not clubs that we regard as glamorous, you know, the you know, Rotherham and Scunthorpe stealing players from us, so I think it's hard. And it's been absolutely fascinating uh, fascinating talking to you. If I could talk that would be. Um <laughs> just finally, we've got one more question for you. Um where do you see the future of Scottish football, both on and off the park going? I think on the park, um, I think it's going to continue to improve. Um, have made somebody who got coached um, when I was young, uh, not for very long, uh, but by some of our uh, people down at the SFA, down at uh, Inverclyde. Um, I never really get any proper coaching through my, my old school's career and everything until I was about 15 or 16. Uh, now uh, I'm privileged to be a, a, a coach at uh, Falkirk. Uh, where my young boy plays in the, their team and I, I'm blown away I'm actually blown away by the, the quality of the coaching I've had and the contribution I've had from the SFA coaches and their team coming out for me to do my badges and also the level of coaching and the standard of coaching right through the whole one club and that's just one club I look at but in terms of you know the whole pathway the, the five sides to the seven sides to the nine sides to the eleven side, the Dutch kind of way Rotating players and positions, um, you know, making sure my centre forward who wants to play centre forward he goes to the right back next week because I'm telling him to and learning the skills. 
I, I'm really encouraged. You know, I think there's, there's, there's a huge hope for us. Obviously, nothing stands still elsewhere, and all the other countries are catching up as well. I think we've got a lot to catch up. So, on the park, I'm really optimistic going forward. And you to see some of these talents, although it's sad that we don't see them for long, the likes of Ryan Gold and uh, people like that, that that's good. Off the field, um, I think there will be a continued convergence towards community ownership. It's our clubs. Uh, you know, we might not own them, but we love them. Uh, they're a treasured part of our of our heart and our mind. Um, and I think fans, as they see more of these um, proposals work, um, will will want it. And you know, we've got thank a lot of the, the trailblazers out there, whether it was Sterling at the start or whether it's Hearts doing a fantastic job as a bigger club. You know, it gives you confidence, the likes of the guys that I'm dealing with Hibs. If we'd talked to them two years ago, they'd go, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure, it'll be difficult. Now they look across the city and say, well, the Jambos could do it, you know, let's do it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, gents, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Lewis, thanks very much for oh, uh, you. your attendance tonight, as always. And uh, Paul, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you uh, thank you very much uh, remember you can keep the conversation going on Facebook and Twitter by um, the uh, Facebook name and Twitter name at TFW Football Show um, if you've got any points on fan ownership get in touch with us and let us know um, you're on Twitter Paul yes yep. uh, Paul Goodwin 3 excellent you can get in touch with Paul that way and also Lewis as well is on uh, Twitter Lewis uh, L Barnsey L Barnsey brilliant my name is Phil Green. You have been listening to the Final Whistle Football Show on Pulse 98.4 Community Radio Station. We'll see you next week.